afternoon. I'm T. Hetzel. You've got Living Writers. And today, I'm so excited to have in the studio Thomas Lynch. Hi, T. <laughs> Tom, thanks so much for being here today. My delight and pleasure to be here. Uh, well, you're, you're here. Also, um, not just for kicks, but... Um, You've got a, a, a collection of short stories that yep. just came out this month mm -hmm. um, from Norton, uh, Apparition and Late Fictions, a novella and stories. Um, and so so we're going to start. We have so much to talk about, but we'll definitely get some in about the <laughs> book and <laughs> keep me on track if I start veering back to um, right. Movine. <laughs> Take a walk on the wild side. Um, and to start us off, I'll read the, the bio in the back. And then we'll fill in, because there's much to say here. Thomas Lynch's stories, poems, and essays have appeared in Granta, The Atlantic, Harper's, and elsewhere. The Undertaking was a finalist for the National Book Award. Lynch lives in Milford, Michigan, and West Clare, Ireland. Tom, so this the book's come out. It's been a long time in the... Well, has it? how long did it take for the, these short five stories? Five years or so, yeah. Oh, okay. So not that long, actually. No, well, I mean, you know, you just work away. I mean, it was five years from my last book that was out. So, I mean, that's when I sort of turned to this one. I think I might have had one or one, possibly two of the stories done before that. But, yeah, the collection and sort of took shape over the past five years. And But this is a departure because this is your first collection of it's fiction. It's first fiction, yeah. Yeah. And and so have you always been writing fiction, but it hasn't? Cause no, it, or, no. I just thought um, this was something I should do. And um, why? Well, I think a writer should have a go at everything, you know. So um, fiction seemed to be a, a novel seems to be a more uh, workmanlike project, you know, where you have to get up and do it every day. In my life doesn't provide that kind of uh, opportunity yet. So I, but short fiction seemed to work all right. You could sort of stay in the same space for uh, at least to get some drafting done. And, and then, um, and I thought as a, before writing a longer fiction, I should see how I did with these. And uh, so, yeah, it's just like um, an apprenticeship, you know. And uh, who were, when you were doing, were you doing some reading also? When you, were you doing some studying of the, the short story form? You know, sometimes before you, you're reading a lot of people, or was it just something that you, these stories Well, I've came... always read fiction, um, although not as, you know, I haven't made a study of fiction, I, I wouldn't say. I mean, I, I've read it for pure pleasure and delight, as I, I suspect most readers do. Mm. But... Um, but you do, after a lifetime of reading it, have some sense of what uh, what's going on in terms of the infrastructure. And I, I'm, like a lot of people who live around here, I'm very fortunate to have friends who do this as a living, you know. So I could ask them things like, do you know the end before you start? It was very liberating to find out they don't, you know, because yes. <laughs> in that sense... Um, I thought I had a chance that if I could just put sentence after sentence after sentence and see how the narrative sort of played itself out and then go back and read it and see if it, it you know, it was enjoyable to me in the way that other fictions were. So. And what was one of the first pieces that came to you where you thought, now this, because you, you're a poet, you're an essayist, you, you're a commentator, for, like writing articles. Well, so. I write sentences, you know, and, and, <laughs> paragraphs and lines and things like that. So for me, it's all the same currency of language. But it, but, mm. but it, it, this is different. I mean, living in fiction is a different thing than than trying to make a point in an essay or, 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 or sort of wandering around a a notion in an essay, or um, you know, paying out metaphors and images and and sounds and and poetry. So, I, the the whole notion of character and narrative and setting um, was uh, interesting to me. And but mind you, I I have some friends who you know make it easy to study with. You could send it to them; they could say, "No, I ah, know you've missed by a long shot here. Do this instead." You know, so that's helpful. You know? And so, so you'd get some some feedback. I noticed in the acknowledgments, I saw some names I recognized, yeah. and many, of course, that I didn't. But yeah. that I thought, oh, so th this community of writers, and some of them were fiction writers. Uh, yeah, I, I must say, A. L. Kennedy was very helpful early on because um, she is, um, and she is just a very accomplished fictionist, and um, 
and she's brutally honest, which is very helpful. And, uh, and the things that she said then made sense as well, because there's something yeah, that a good teacher. you can see yeah. when someone says it, it, it does suddenly make sense. It does. And she's, uh, you know, but she's very brief and to the point and, you know, spares no, mm-hmm. you know, she's not, you know, trying to save souls or influence people. She's just trying to get, you know, <laughs> moving along in the direction you say you want to go. So mm, I guess she figures if you ask, then you, it's you're ready. It's very much like, you know, a neurosurgery. If you can... <laughs> If you can have the, if you have the nerve to ask, then you have the nerve to know. <laughs> so, yeah. Because well, um, I noticed also, and and well, I'd seen, I think I'd read one of the stories. Hunt, was it Hunter's Moon, uh, in Granta, Tom? Um, I think it's, and I also I know, know where, yeah, well, noticed Bloodsport had been placed in, in a, a mystery, like Best American Mysteries, yeah, two thousand one. Yeah, so. Yeah. So, so these stories had found homes. So, were those the first stories you wrote? uh, um, Bloodsport was the first one I wrote. The first one was published. Um, Hunter's Moon came within the past few years, and um, the last one that was written, there was a the 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 story that became the novella Apparition, um, started as a short story that became amplified. Then it just became a longer. Piece, so. And why why was that? What was some what was something that you felt that was the needed? Editor, uh, Robin Robertson sort of uh, he was very fond of the character and thought that he had more. A- Adrian room. Littlefield, yeah. this um, this uh, lapsed Methodist minister, or, or as a Presbyterian friend says, isn't that redundant? <laughs> but, uh, Is that a Catholic friend? <laughs> no, no, he's a oh, Presbyterian. Good. Oh, good. Okay. But, uh, uh, not to not to pull in the Catholics. I know. Yeah. I mean, I spend a lot of time with the Reverend clergy, so they all have, you know. Maybe we should mention that. I sometimes take it for granted that people will know the other hats that you are, the other parts that make up mm. your life. You alluded to the fact that you don't write um, twenty four hours a day because you have other things. Yeah. Um, would, would, well, I, I'm a funeral director, and I have a you know a, in a family enterprise. I work with my sons and other people, and so and I enjoy that work. I mean, I find it very. Um, compelling. So um, it's not like I can um, retire or put it aside. And to some extent, I'm on a schedule. Uh, the schedule cha- is changeable, you know, mm. and I'm not in charge of it. So, um, oh, that's true. So writing is is still a, a kind of an a la carte enterprise for me. So, although it's gotten much better in, as my sons have taken over more and more of the. Uh, management and operation of the firm, I, you know, it's it's made it much easier to sort of say I won't be in tomorrow morning. You know? and so, and do you write in the mornings? Is that mornings sort of the time. rhythm that yeah. you you've found I'm for the work? Early. Yeah. When you say early, how early, Tom? When are... Five-ish, but I get oh. sort of mushy around noon. You know, so <laughs> after that, it's pretty bad. So. Well, it's you've put in a, a pretty much a full day almost. Well, there's a lot of coffee making and stuff like that. There's and and. All writers have these ritual, um, you know, diversions that walk around the thing before they do the thing itself. Oh, yes, mm. that's true. But you actually, you manage to, to do the thing because um, you also have um, three books of poems. Mm. And I, I think on your website, I saw that you have another one that's forthcoming this year, is this it? This autumn, yeah, November. Did, did you bring some of those to, or mm, some sure. po- or new or new poems that might not I've have a I've always got poems in yeah. Maybe so. We'll hear some of those later yeah, in the sure. hour, and um, and then you have, of I, I, of I say of course, like the undertaking, because I feel like that's that's a book that um, has people had... still buy that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's one way to put that, it. That's a life of that was life outside of itself. <laughs> and is it because because that was wasn't it um, influential in the six feet under series? Like they read it and they. Well, yeah, I mean. Uh, yeah, it, it occasioned a correspondence between Alan Ball and myself, and which I've I've always enjoyed, and I just I always enjoy sort of cross sorts endeavors, you know. So, and then and then you have bodies in rest and at motion, yeah. and, and that was that was translated into, into Spanish as well, wasn't it? Or, I think so. Yeah, and, there were. I mean, these stories have actually gone into Spanish someplace in Colombia. So, um. Did you work with the translator at no, all, Tom? No. Or no, they'll they'll no. no, no, they just bought the rights to publish it in Spanish. And so, so you think it's the same we'll story? We'll see. Yeah. <laughs> I don't much care. You know? 
<laughs> just getting the word yeah. out, right? Yeah. Getting like like um, Stephen Colbert always says, like I think translate that you know translators are is an art unto itself. So what they come up with is you know a new thing. Do you ever work in that with the poems, like translating? So I've tried to, you know, and it is it's a, a whole different set of you know uh, intuitions that you follow. But I actually find. That uh, in fact, one of the stories in here is not so much a translation as it is a transmutation. You know, the, uh, of, the mirror image. Yeah, or yeah. But the idea of which, taking somebody you, else's structure. In, in this case, it was taking Thomas Mann's uh, sort of superstructure for uh, Death in Venice, which I always loved uh, as a novella, and um, changing the character to... Uh, instead of Aschenbach, it's Ashling Black, which turns out to be the combination of uh, two filmmakers that I know, Ashling Ahmed and Kyle Black, who are friends of mine. Kyle Black's a, the filmmaker. Ashling Ahmed is the producer that works for his company. And uh, so I thought Ashling Black sounded like Aschenbach. So yes. I had my character anyway. It works in different, many different levels. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You just steal as much as you can, you know. And uh, instead of instead of a, you know, a Viennese... Uh, uh, academic. It's a Michigan ap- academic who, and, instead of going to uh, Hotel Le Bans on the Lido, it goes to the Grand Hotel in uh, Mackinac Island. If reading that story really made me want to visit it to see this. Uh, is, so there is such a hotel. It's grand. It's, yeah. gra- it's grand. <laughs> and that's a good Irish word, that. Yeah, no, it's oh, really a, an exception. I mean, it is. Um, Aschenbach would have been comfortable there. And as you describe it then, in the story, it's definitely you, Mm. sort of this rich, the days gone by of, of the, the, its peak, but still that echo of, uh, glamour. It's still quite peaked out, but (laughs) because the story takes place in rather than early 20th century Venice, it's early 21st century recessionary Michigan. Yes. So it's a little, it's down a little bit on its luck, but it's still grand. You know, yes, and it will come back. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it, as go Michigan as well, yes, right? Yes, as we do. <laughs> so, so your heart is definitely, um, in some ways, bifurcated between Michigan and County Clare in Ireland, and and that's. Um, I have that hyphenation anyway. I mean, I do feel, you know, very much at home in both places. And and so we should just before we move on, like the the other book that we haven't mentioned yet, um, which is a book I love uh, dearly, Booking Passage: We Irish and Americans, mm-hmm. also, um, also one of yours, Tom. <laughs> um, that was the book that was supposed to be sort of you know the Angelo's asses kind of thing that would sell a bunch of copies for the Irish, but you know back after Frank McCourt's lovely book sort of plowed the ground early for all <laughs> Irish things and. Uh, but it was uh, it was contracted in 2000 and written after 2001 which and everything had changed by then so the notion of race and sect and nationality and ethnicity uh, took on a, a very double-edgedness uh in 2001 that it, it it seemed quite innocent in 2000 and so the book became darker and and um and i think more uh, contemplative than the sort of jaunty travel log they had in mind, but yes. I'm proud of the book and, I, yes. and I'm pleased with it. Although I think there might be, you know, uh, fewer copies in print than. Uh, uh, I mean, it's still out there. Well, in book, the world, it's you know. booking passage. So, folks, you you can look yeah. for this book as well as apparition and late fictions, yeah. um, a novella and stories. We're going to take a short break today. Thomas Lynch is here on Living Writers. I'm T Hetzel. Brian Delaney in the engineering seat. We'll be right back.
Welcome back. You've got living writers. I'm T. Hetzel. Today on the program, Thomas Lynch um, is here. And that was just, uh, Tom, you want to tell us a little bit That's about Martin the music? Martin Hayes and Dennis Cockle playing. Thanks to Brian. <laughs> to Bri- Brian found it. So we had it, in the, it the, yeah. the, on the shelves. Martin Hayes is from East Clare. Fecal, unfortunate name <laughs> for a town. Uh, fecal. <laughs> the luck of the Irish. Yeah. <laughs> um, but he's the... Um, He's the uh, the son of um, P.J. Hayes, who was a fiddler with the um, famous uh, Cayley Band in East Clare, and his mother was a concertina player. So oh, he comes by his uh, his traditional music roots, which he has pushed the envelope of, of course. But Martin is uh, uh, he plays all over this country and Asia and Europe. I mean, he's he's always in the plane, you know, going to play his. Uh, Claire Fiddle music. He's wonderful. Have Have you also Have you seen him when you've been over in Claire? Tom? Yes, I saw him actually uh, in the Kilrush Primary School for the Mrs. Crotty's um, music festival. We were all kind of bunched in as kids would be in the little chairs, <laughs> and out came this uh, truly international star, and Dennis Cahill, who's from Chicago, actually an Irish American, who accompanies him on guitar. So they're, yeah, they're, it's wonderful music, and he's uh, uh, he's a great treasure. Ah, you know, it, it, the music of Claire, I can't really, I mean, how could we even begin to talk about mm-hmm. it? Because it's even on a Sunday um, in Kilkee for a session, you can just hear people so talented yes. playing and it's so beautiful. And But it's just also so normal for there. Well, it's you know, the I'm bowled thing. over, yeah, yeah. but it's it's sort of like, and what can you do mm-hmm. exactly. to add to it after the... Everybody you know. would have the, want to bring their party piece, you know, <laughs> yes. whether you would, whether you would play or sing or have a poem or a story, you're, you would be expected to add to the evening's entertainment because uh, up until, you know, you know, the mid seventies, TV was not sort of done. And radio was, you know, was mostly for the weather, and uh, and the Angelus, yeah. and the Angelus, yeah, and, yeah. and now Mass. Well, <laughs> that's gone, sort of gone south lately. <laughs> <laughs> the bishops are on, are being hunted. <laughs> uh, I, the papal nuncio is about to be evicted. <laughs> so yeah. Well, I've I've actually liked your your um your article in Common Wheel. Ah, yeah. Is it yeah, then, yeah. Tom? The uh, let's see the. Was it talking to bishops or preaching or to bishops? Preaching? Can you finish out the the line? Preaching to bishops is like farting at skunks. It begins, but I put put that bromide in the in in the voice of a long dead clergy person. <laughs> it's better to attribute it. <laughs> Always to attribute it to the dead. But <laughs> well, that won't keep the bad medicine away. But <laughs> I've had so many uh, Only nice the co- comments and letters and emails from um, the clergy actually about that and thanking me for having said so out loud but um i mean i was just i was very offended at the sort of dust up between and these are always irish careerist uh clerics you know men about my age you know who um who figure the best way to you know get to rome is to make a fool of yourself here you know like cardinal law did but um um when particularly when when uh uh, Archbishop Burke, late of St. Louis, was uh, uh, going after Cardinal O'Malley of Boston for having, um, not of Boston actually, yeah, of Boston, for having uh, um, accepted the corpse of uh, Ted Kennedy for oh, mass and burial. Right. I thought, how bad does it get, you know? And, right. and so I, I thought, um, I come from a long line of big grudgers, and, <laughs> and I thought I'd put on my big grudgery, particularly because I just come home from Ireland, where um, where it was clear that the bishops were all company guys involved with the uh, you know the sexual scandals of the early part of the decade, and um, you know it's old news about you know that portion of the population that is going to be uh, abusive or. Uh, pedophiles, but uh, the new news is is that the middle management sorts working their upline uh, really obstructed justice, kept these criminals uh, moving around from parish to parish, and so in I, in Ireland and in the states, of course, so in, in all places, it's the largest international merger and acquisition firm in the history of the world. That's that's a that's yeah that's one way to put it. Um, very apt. 
way to put it. I I wonder, did they, Tom, for these these um, pieces? Like this was this was more. Um, it was because you have essays that are more like you said earlier, wandering around an idea or making yeah, these yeah. connections. Yeah, Th- That's just but, an opinion piece. But this was wrote. more like an art. Yeah, I wrote it and I found a place for it. Oh, you did? okay? That's what I was going to yeah. ask. How it came I to be? I wrote it because I wanted to have it on the record. Then, then I shopped it to different places, and Commodore was the first that spoke for it. Was your was it your idea to to have that sort of the byline be an undertaker's view? No, they do that. Oh, okay. Because yeah. I thought, yeah. did the, why why frame no, it? Okay, no, I just I just called. I, I don't. I forget what I called it, but I just uh, I wrote the, you know, the essay and then just sent it out and said, "Can you find room for this?" You know. Mm. Yes, so and people do. They do. Yeah. I'm very fortunate <laughs> that way. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Tom. Um, well, let's see. Well, why don't we? There's a million things to say. Of course, there always is with you. But shall shall we hear a, a part of apparition and? Well, let me late read you a little. Just, I'll just read you uh, this character because we've talked about this character Ashling Black, and because uh, you know, in some ways, I've borrowed her from people I've. I'm you know she's a composite of this sort of academic poet. Um, that you see around here. Um, Ashleen Black was born in Birmingham, uh, Birmingham, an upmarket northern suburb of Detroit in the year Martin Luther King and Bobby Kennedy were killed and Nixon was elected president. She was the only daughter of a man who made a respectable fortune selling safety glass to Detroit automakers. Her mother taught elementary school, read Plath and Sexton, and died young of a subarachnoid hemorrhage. Her father never remarried, rather threw herself threw himself more deeply into work, finding ways to embed antennae and defrosting elements in the glass, amassing thereby a quite substantial fortune. A dead mother and often absent father produced a brainy, sometimes brooding girl who edited her grade school newspaper, won all the academic prizes in high school, tested well enough to get scholarships to all the better eastern universities. After an undergraduate degree in Vermont, she got her MFA and PhD in California, where she had studied with the famous poet. If she hadn't yet created much in the way of beauty, she nonetheless knew beauty when she saw it, and she had seen in Nigel's long, brutish poems, full of the blood and bone of his father's butcher shop in Seattle, something raw and sensual. He was one of Retke's last students, had taught with Berryman at Minnesota, quoted Lowell and Bishop and Robert Frost, and was fairly manic, famously bingy, and Ashling thought a brilliant teacher. And he was handsome in the way men are who know how to wear the proper jacket and tie, a hat in winter, a cashmere coat, men who could be counted on for good directions and clean handkerchiefs, even if they sometimes seemed to look too long in the wrong direction or drank too much or said outrageous things. He could speak in metaphors, assigning depth to the everyday, connecting elements of the tedious and mundane to the stuff of art and literature. He had praised her poems in his workshop and attended her reading in the student union. When he invited her to travel with him, the year between her master's and doctoral studies on a cross-country tour to mark the publication of his selected poems, she accepted. It was out of character for her to do so but he made it sound more like a job than an assignation and an important part of her education, and it was. And they go on from there. He dies, of course, and she becomes a better poet than he was. <clears throat> and um, finds herself now at 40 years old, um, an internationally well-known poet, and uh, she's back and forth and back and forth, but finds herself going to Mackinac Island at the end of a summer in the UK, and um, there she is smitten at the uh, appearance, at the apparition of uh, of um, um, Bintaloo, this Jamaican woman, girl, <clears throat> who is um, part of the waitstaff at the Grand Hotel, and she begin she is overwhelmed by this uh, incarnation of beauty and. She and knows beauty when she sees she it. She knows beauty when she sees it. So it's, yeah, yeah the, the layering begins. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Oh, well, that's lovely. Well, it's, um, it's, it's, you can hear in, in your lines, like the long lines, the, the, the lyrical quality mm. that you bring to the prose. Oh, um, and, and, uh, and yet also this, this humor that's Im- embedded in it, like embedded, like you said, with the, 
in the safety glass. Mm. I think that there's <laughs> moments <laughs> or yeah. counted on for good directions. And then a few beat la- beats later, even if sometimes he's looking too long in the wrong <laughs> You're a close reader. <laughs> <Right. So, laughs> or listener. Yeah. Yeah. But, but those are things I noticed when I read. Like those are these moments that, that make something. Into I'm always impressed more. by how the good laugh and the good cry you sort of belly up to the same bar, you know. So <laughs> you have to give room for each of them, you know. Mm. So. Yeah, it's hard. It's um, it's it's hard to find a better opening line, I think, um, for a novella than uh, for for your novella apparition. It was good riddance that put Adrian Littlefield on the lecture circuit. Mm-hmm. Good riddance, and, yeah. You know, the title of the book. There. Yeah, that's the Methodist that that. Um, comes to grief with a Methodist and comes to salvation later by falling out of church and into grace, actually, yeah. By way of a kind of a... A, a, a gift. <laughs> <laughs> Should I not say it? Should I not say anything? I don't know. No. <laughs> well, but with a, and also the... Uh, a, a father, a good Catholic priest. Oh, there's a priest, priest involved, yes. With... A priest leads him astray, yes. Yes, so there's some twists yes. and turns. Priests can this. be counted on to lead you astray. <laughs> um, so we'll take a short break, and um, we'll see how astray we go when we come back. All right. Um, today on Living Writers, Thomas Lynch, his latest, a collection of short stories, and one novella, Apparition and Late Fictions. I'm T. Hetzel. We'll be right back. Good afternoon. If you're just tuning in, you've got Living Writers. Today on the program, Thomas Lynch is here. Um, and we've and Tom actually suggested the musical selections, and then Brian found them in our our, our shelves, our archives here. Mm-hmm. That's Mozart, because it's his birthday. <laughs> and it's not that I mark it every year. It's just that I'm, every day I get um, the writer's almanac, you know, uh, Garrison Keillor's thing, and he mentions it, so... You end up impressing your friends with knowledge that you, they think you always possess. You only momentarily possess it. <laughs> or, or you have to quick say, like, what your ritual is for yeah. Mozart's birthday yeah. every year. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't any. <laughs> well, now this will be just listening to some. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Yeah. Uh, well, um, I think when I when I first arrived uh, for the first time in Ireland mm-hmm. last year, Tom, I think it was uh, the next day was St. Bridget's. Yes. Birthday. Um, so it was, it was, I love that idea of, you know, uh, the saints' days and, right. and how it's not just, um, they are every day. There's a, oh, a yeah. saint's day. Yeah. And a feast to go along with it. You yes. know? Yeah. There's yeah. always a reason for feasting. Yeah. Binge and purge, I think, is the, uh, is the, uh, the down market, uh, experience but i mean they do have i mean they're people do are devoted and they have devotions to particular um persona in the liturgical calendar so i mean there are days that really do make people different you know so and you know the the irish um even the sort of post roman catholic irish are you know are are just a shade away from the pagan outrights you know i mean they're They've always been sort of earthbound elemental sorts who um, who are looking for you know spirits and things you know. Yes, and finding them, um, mm. and uh, in 
between Movine and Kilki is uh, one of the is the I think it's the the Kilki well. Well, it's it's for the oh Saint Sinan's well, yes. Yes, <laughs> and and Sinan was a great misogynist who uh, who uh, Christianized that part of the the peninsula. And, well, yeah. is that part of the reason why then it's the women that walk then in circles around the well for um, praying, and it's the and you need to work, you know, keep walking those circles around. Uh, is that is that the, the women? You do know, the I just went up and splashed the water in my you face. You did not. Uh, oh, I do. Yeah, did, did I you? do all those. I'm very devout. You know, I'm That's... devout and devoutly lapsed at the same time. But I believe in the power of of you know metaphor and but symbol. But you splashed it into your eye though, because Tom, when yeah. did they last? It's pretty murky. If you look yeah, in there, you, you got to skim off the top. I mean, it's ah, nothing but okay. it's nothing but a well of water that was designated a holy well. But every, I mean, uh, in the house that you were in now, in my own house there, just down the land there, there's a well just like it, and it's you know it will be covered with you know, um, you know a little slime, ah. a little scum. But it, as you move you just... away that first layer, you come to the sweet, you know. Spring water, and it's very, it's very lovely water. Yeah. So I shouldn't have been. I, th- I, I shouldn't, shouldn't have been have worried. Been... That was lovely water. Just that's okay. You just take, you know, you just skim off the top <laughs> layer of, you know, fly. <laughs> Finally. <laughs> Final, or finally, Ohio, yes. Um, finally, Ohio. Um, where a young clergyman, Adrian Littlefield, um, is the associate pastor at St. Mark's Methodist Church. There's actually three Methodist churches in Finley, Ohio. But what I really wanted to use Finley for, apart from Ohio, was the the wonderful mansions along the, that street. Is it South Main Street, I think. I'm not sure, but... Um, right across from the church are some wonderful Gilded Age, um, gigantic uh, uh, homes, and uh, so he moved out of a little frame home that is the the manse of the associate pastor into one of these with his earnings from his his book Good Riddance. Uh, he opens the Center for Postmarital Studies (PMS) um, in one of these mansions after his divorce. After his divorce, yes. 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 And he, you know, so he can write it all off. But the the house is actually there. The address is actually a real address. The church is actually a real address. The Finley, Ohio, is really real. Is <laughs> really Finley. It's really. Yeah. Wh- now, why, why why is that important to to? to it was do just helpful to, to have that sort of, you know. To have that sort of townscape in mind when when I set him about wandering uh, through it, you know, I wanted I wanted to know when his wife left him that she'd go to Cincinnati. Mm. I wanted to know, you know, the or where the community college was located right. near their their yeah. home. Or yeah. okay, I always had a great respect for Dutch Leonard Elmore Leonard's stories because. Um, I've he, known him for a while, and he he blurbed this. Well, book. you know, we've known his, he and my father were friends, and we buried his first wife, and he's married to, um, you know, uh, 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 an in-laws uh, mm-hmm. relative, you know, and and our families have known each other for a while, and um, but I always I'd, I'd see him in the airport. This goes back now thirty years, coming back from some place where he was going to do research for one of his. Um, novels, and I thought that's how you do that. You go mm-hmm. find out what it's like to do that. Now he has people he dispatches to do that, but, uh, <laughs> and he just writes. But um, I, I thought it was a wonderful way to sort of keep the story afloat in your own mind was to go there and do it. You know. And so, is it something like so? Then you decide to go there, or were you already there and you thought, now this is the setting for this? I knew particular... I was going to put him in Finley for some reason because on the way to Finley, there's this. Um, well, actually, in, you know, in southern Ohio, there's this uh, Methesco, which is where Methodists go to school. So I asked my local Methodist minister, where where would a, where, where would a Methodist in this area have gone to seminary? And he told me. So 
it worked out perfectly mm -hmm. that way. And then there was there's a network of sort of um, summer camps that the Chautauqua was one of them that they always started. You know, there's one up in Michigan Bayview. You know, up in um, near Petoskey, oh. these sort of Methodist summer camps that became, you know, part of the Chautauqua movement, the sort of secular religious. Uh, uh, movement and uh, I and my grandmother was a Methodist, so I knew he was going to be a Methodist, you know. Because you know a bit about the Methodists as well as the Catholics, then Tom. Salt of the earth, so you know. <laughs> was it was it important to have the setting be close to then your also to your heart, like to Michigan? Oh. Well, yeah, because um, well, I, I once I, he I knew where he was from. I knew where he'd go. Yes, so. yes. So. And and some of the your. Your, the undertaking also informs other stories because we have, um, we there's have a, a casket young, salesman in there, yeah, and, and a young undertaker. There's a young funeral director with, in, in there, Bloodsport. Yes. Yeah, yes, yeah. That was that. I think the Bloodsport was the first story in there, and I, you know, um, and then I was just drawing on sort of a part of the experience I had had, you know, early on, but. Um, Keane, the, the casket salesman Harold Keane is um, is a composite of people I've known. People you know who yeah. you work with. <laughs> you know, casket peddlers I've known for 50 years, you know. Wonderful men, mostly. Although women do it now, but um, yeah. And it gives, it sort of gives you, it's, it shows that you have this, um, you definitely know how this, how this works and, and the reasons, some of the reasoning behind it. It gives you this opportunity as a fiction writer to talk like, like the, almost the, for example, with the caskets, the reasons behind them, like how sometimes you can't look at death, so you can look at the things that we put death in, or what you, yeah, you the stuff rather than the substance, you know, it's, they're diversions, you know. But um, but I like that character. I like how he developed and the whole thing developed, you know. So character for me is the is the is the start of it. More I'm, more than narrative, narrative takes care of itself, but. Um, but the character, it seems to me great creation. I mean, it's, it's so much fun to imagine these lives, you know. And how does it, does it start coming to you in pieces or how is it with? Do you know, T, when you write poems and you come to a point where you have your selection of four or five different words mm -hmm. or maybe 40 or 50 different words. But and so you start whittling down to the ones that rhyme with something or have three syllables or two or one so that you can so you whittle it down to where you can say i've got the exact word i need now mm. do you know it's i think in fiction it's the same way with with um, the traits or the... yeah with character traits and and narrative you have all these possibilities so then you just sort of start nailing down until this seems to fit not like the rented tuxedo but like the actual skin do you know mm. and uh um there's a there comes a point when you know the character is is sort of well suited, you know, <laughs> to what they're going to be doing, you know. And so, so that's a joy in the fiction that I can see that it, that is a difference between this the nonfiction, like the connections. That's the digging and the the sort of the 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 artifacts and the uncovering of them, mm -hmm. which maybe would be that way of the mind working on the page, and then this fiction. There's something different. As you're talking about it, a way to well, there is this uh, there is this um, payoff. There is this imaginative sort of hush that descends when you think, well, I've got him as far as I can go, or um, what is she going to do next, or mm. you know, and um, and it's usually something very, you know, some some detail or accessory in the room that shows the way, you know. So, in the character's room and the yeah. scape you've created there yeah. for them. So it seems to work out, you know. Now, that said, these are apprentice pieces, you know. These are really, um, this is trying to see if I can do this thing. And I'm fortunate that I have editors who will tell you, no, that one doesn't work or this one does, you know. And that, I mean, that really took a long time to get uh, a selection of stories that the two editors, one here and one in London, could agree on. You know, so that was, uh, it was a little bit like Root Canal and getting there, but um, once there you think, oh, well, I've jumped through those particular hoops anyway. So, And here they are. Here they are. Mm -hmm. With reason to be. 
Well, I mean, I'm I'm pleased enough with them, you know. Yes. They're on the record anyway. Yes. yes. <laughs> the voice, the voice in the cor- the choral is it's mm-hmm. it it swells. Well, let's take a short break and and we'll come back. You're listening to WCBN FM Ann Arbor. I'm T Hetzel today on the program. Thomas Lynch, his latest apparition and late fictions. We'll be right back. Welcome back. You've got Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel, and today on the program, Thomas Lynch, um, his latest apparition and late fictions on WCBM-FM Ann Arbor with Brian Delaney in the engineering seat. Thanks, Brian, for making us sound good. <laughs> um, I think Tom was saying, uh, make me sound like Walter Cronkite, yeah. and I'm <laughs> yeah. who is the voice of absolute truth, by the way. Um, you can trust him. And as is Tom Lynch, actually. Well, we'll <laughs> With see. With the Irish <laughs> <laughs> twist. Um, so, 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 Tom, we were listening to some more Martin Hayes there, and, and you've actually seen him in the airport and accosted yeah, yeah. him. No. Well, I have. I'm, I'm a <coughs> Martin Hayes groupie. There's no doubt about it. But um, my wife and I and, and my sister-in-law uh, were in uh, Kilrush one night, and... Uh, they had this sort of 
uh, electrified boy band trad music trad trad music as they call it they call it slide that played you know and they were really good I must say but I mean you had to be you know and and so then out comes Martin Hayes and and uh, Dennis Cahill and he says think of us um, as a cup of cocoa after the night's reveries he was you know he was sort of um, trying to play down our expectations after hearing this really amplified music from this Dublin boy band. <laughs> and, and then he just wowed everybody for the next hour playing... Uh, well, a cup of cocoa. I mean, yeah. you can't beat that with a stick, can you? you know? Yeah. I know, I know. Well, he's, <laughs> he's much more radical than he gives... But he is, uh, as I was saying, as I said to him one time, I said, you're the best I ever heard. And uh, um, he is, he is, when it comes to fiddling. So... <laughs> And and um, so Martin Hayes, if you've enjoyed the music, uh, uh, yeah, go, you go, you, go Martin Hayes, Google that. Martin Hayes, go to your iPod. They'll ha- they'll have it or iTunes, I think they call it now, and <laughs> they will send that's it to the, you. That's what yeah. the the kids are calling the boy bands from Dublin. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, and there's also Tom, you've got a couple of because the book is just out this month, and right. so you've got the book launch coming up in Milford. Milford, February the sixteenth at the Milford Township Library. Uh, seven o'clock. Everyone welcome. Keith Taylor, my dear friend and your friend, uh, is coming uh, north to to do the launch itself, and then the, there'll be a brief reading and then the the usual uh, wines and cheeses and things like that. So, oh, wonderful! And then I think uh, it's the twenty fifth of March. Yes, in for seven o'clock at uh, Nicola's books. Yes, closer into Ann Arbor. In Ann Arbor, you're out out on Jackson Road, is it? Yes, yeah, the um, Westgate Mall. That's it. And uh, it's our yeah, our independent bookshop in town. The last so man Nicholas. standing, as we say. Yeah, or woman. <laughs> Yeah. In this case, yeah. right? And she is. She's and she's there yeah. all the time. She's working. She's lovely. She's always working. Yeah. A shout out to Nicola. Yeah. <laughs> and um and while we're doing announcements, I should say that um tomorrow uh Cole Swenson, the poet Cole Swenson will be here reading at the the University of Michigan Museum of Art. Um I think it's around five o'clock. That's Cole Swenson, so you could check her out. And next week we have the lovely Linda Gregerson mm. on February second. So um also reading um poems so and we've got lots Scott's of poems john here. burnside i know linda would appreciate us saying that john burnside will be here shortly after that on the 11th i think maybe thank February you 11th, yeah. i'm still trying to catch up here with a few things yes, you've been, so thank yeah. you um and and thanks to winfrida at norton for sending um this 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 winfrida wonderful book. is like every publicist in the business overworked underpaid and better than uh, better than the best, you know. Yes, yeah, but right, on par with Martin Hayes. Well, in a different way, oh, yeah. <laughs> a different way. Yeah. Um, so, so Tom, we we have so so little time left, and so are you? Are you working on a play? Actually, that's I finished going to the be... play. Sent it off to uh, um, the Amphitheater uh, Theater Group in West Clare, where uh, I'm promised they'll stage it this October. It's a play called Lacrimae Rerum, and uh, uh, the tears of things, and it has to do oh, with... Oh, so it's very serious. Not that serious. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, well, the sound of it. Ah, well, but you then know. your cast of characters Well, the sounds... cast of characters includes a, um, an aging uh, chastitute um, uh, named uh, E.J. O'Curry, uh, a frequently visiting, visiting American... Um, and who drives? Uh, there's a pre uh, the driver, <laughs> who brings with him uh, uh, an urn full of ashes shaped like an angel, an angel-shaped urn, along with the job the play has to settle. There's a priest, um, and then there's a widowed publican, a woman by the name of Lerda Kearney, uh, who who and it's a one-act play. It can only last forty minutes because it's a competition, so. Um, there's three scenes, one act, three little interior scenes, and um, I had great fun writing it, and uh, I hope it, I hope it um, wins all the prizes over there because the because the people who acted out who will first stage it are, mm-hmm. you know, the um, uh, the postman, um, yes. the um, oh. bar mistress, the. Hardware store clerk, uh, the bank manageress. These are the the thespians in Kilkee who will who are retired absolute, school teachers. Retired yes. school teachers are in it. That's right. You're exactly right. And Martin Gleason, the the poet, who is uh, also the uh, the 
head of the amphitheater group, and um, so I'm I'm delighted that he commissioned it, and I can't wait to see it. Oh, it sounds yeah, it sounds up. so so. Any if anyone make your make your um, plane reservations yeah, now for October, October November. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> then... October November, yes, it'll be. I think it'll go from Kilkee to Dunbeg, Kilmyle up the coast until they until they've. Bank, you know, vanquished them all. <laughs> Lovely places, all. Yes. Movine at the top of the list, but yes. then all these other places as well. Yes. yes. <laughs> um, and so, speaking of prizes and winning them, um, you've you've had some luck with um, your donkey Charlie. Well, he is um, he is uh, a racer. He's a rapid racer. <laughs> he's the he's run to glory many times now. He's. Um, in West Clare, the best of the best piebald asses, and uh, uh, he's had, you know, uh, a piebald career, as we say. It's. Uh, Is that uh, like a checkered career? <laughs> yes, only. Yeah, he's he's a wonderful racer, and um, I have now five asses: Charles, Camilla, um, Sarah P, Obama, um, and and Hillary. Hillary, and we have two more due now. And then you know, who, there's two and four. Who's right with now. who's? Uh, Sarah P and Hillary are both uh, ah. in full right now. So we'll see what happens. You have this such a group now of donkeys. Uh, I'm very fond of asses, T. To tell you the <laughs> truth. How's the Haggard doing with all these uh, asses? Yeah, everything. Yeah. Everything in Movine is as you last saw it. Only. Poor. The recession has, mm. as as you might imagine, hit there with. Um, it's a real scourge. But it's, in many ways, returned them to the default position. They only had about 15 years when it wasn't poor. So, it, but and it's not as it's not going to ever return to the kind of, uh, you know, poverty there, of. Well, there's running water now. There's. Oh, there's. I mean, and they things. know the way out. I mean, yes. this is a global recession. Oh, I see what yeah, you mean. they. They'll they'll be back, you know, mm -hmm. but um, there won't be the wholesale um, uh, diaspora from West Clare that you know they've had for the last five hundred years. Mm -hmm. So it'll be all right. So the 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 donkeys, the horses. There's, um, yes, those donkeys. It's hard to. I don't know. Well, donkeys you are... know, when you went over there, when you wintered over there, was that uh, last year? Yes. Yeah. This know, time. The, the <laughs> impact of um, a young American woman and her visiting American women friends on a parish of bachelors and widowers and chastitutes can be very unnerving, you know. So you are, you are the stuff of legend, as they say in Omara's bar. They still... Hoist the pint to you um, with reverence and. Oh, you're too kind. And, well, I'll be making my way hope back. That you'll be coming I back. Will. Yeah. I will. Yeah. Um, although it's funny, often I'm thinking, now could that be my song, or what poem will I memorize? What will be my party piece? Because mm -hmm. I feel like I need to. I need to come ready this time. Now mm -hmm. I have some understanding, and I have to step into it. Well, I think I think the fact that you were so generous in in terms of. Um, you know, I, I wasn't the generous one. Though. Well, they were, I mean, to, to be part of their lives, you know. They would say of you that you were a very down-to-earth person. There was no pretense about you, no affectation, which is the thing that always, they, they the visitor always brings to West Clare. And it requires then that the people take on affectations and pretense. But there's nothing, they saw none of that in you, and so they could be themselves. And for them, it was... Um, you know, a great gift, and they love they love that. You know? Ah, Tom, Tom, let's have a poem. Could we have a poem, please? I think there's time to read one poem, okay. and I'll um, and I'll read a poem if I can find it here. Um, called himself. Oh. Okay. And um, maybe you'll recognize. I don't know if I can find it though, or if I even oh, have no. it. Oh no. Nothing like being put on the spot yeah. there with no warning by uh, my see, me. Yeah, I should have, I should have marked this. But I, I have as an alternative. Okay, well, as, well, as you're looking, maybe I'll remind people of the Dude, dates. Yeah. We've got February 16th, um, the book launch for Tom's 
book, Apparition and Late Fictions. That's February 16th in Milford, um, the Township Library. And then closer to home, here for us in Ann Arbor, Nicholas at 7 p.m. March 25th. March 25th at Nicholas. Well, I don't have himself, but I have this one called Dear Madam Secretary. Okay. It's a farming poem. It was the bucket of oats I was giving the mare ass that gave her wee sheafold the shits out there in the haggard, gazing at the wall incomprehensibly. The green ooze staining her rear flanks, her entire aspect badly shaken. Milk scores, PJ diagnosed it and sent me to Williams, the chemist in town, for a big syringe and some sort of dose to restore the poor creature's proper fettle. It was pink, the dose was, and it smelled like berries. Mornings and evenings we'd bring her inside and get her to suckle a finger or thumb, then plunge the medicine down her throat. In no time she was out gamboling in the sweet grass, pulling at the pink dugs of the mare-ass good we figured for donkey's years. Not so the painful case of a weanling Frisian that got a chill from the cold rain of a late June night out in the low field, down and wheezing. Pneumonia, we figured and could only hope the injection we gave it would save the thing. I found it in the shed the following morning, dead as any specimen has ever been. And what I wanted to share with you, Madam Secretary, out there with a shovel digging the grave, is that husbandry has its disappointments. What I am trying to say is that the way of things will not be tempered with, or, as one of your colleagues once opined, stuff happens. Surely what he meant to say was shit, Madam Secretary. It's shit that happens. Ask any ass. Thank, thank you, Tom. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> um, well, let's... Well, thank you so much for thank that. Thank you, T. It's that, always good this, to talk with you. This hour has been, I think... This is the best. Thank you. You wouldn't feel the time going. No, you wouldn't at all. We have to, we, you know, I'd keep talking to you, but we've got the sports guys are, and girls are coming, coming our way next. Um, thanks again to Brian Delaney for engineering. Um, Thomas Lynch, Apparition and Late Fictions. Um, you heard it here on Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel. Until next time. This is Free Speech Radio News for Wednesday, November 16, 2011. In Los Angeles, I'm Dorian Marina. Coming up, in Washington, lawmakers debate an anti-piracy bill that critics say would usher in online censorship. Students at California universities protest police action and tuition hikes. And we'll sit down with the leader of the Afghan Liberal Party as a general counsel meets in Kabul. Those stories and more, but first, this news. I'm Jess Burns with headlines for FSRN. President Obama today announced the U.S. will increase its military presence in Australia. At a press conference, Obama and Australian Prime Minister Julia Gillard said most of the buildup will be in the northern part of the country. Over a number of years, we intend to build on this relationship in a staged way to a full force of around 2,500 personnel. That is a full Marine Air Ground Task Force. President Obama focused his remarks on military cooperation and humanitarian relief in the region, but the growing presence of China underscores the decision. Where China is playing by those rules, uh, recognizing uh, its new role, uh, I think this is a win-win situation. Uh, there are going to be times where they're not, uh, and we will uh, send a clear message uh, to them that uh, we think that uh, they need to... Uh, they need to be on track uh, in terms of uh, accepting uh, the rules and responsibilities uh, that come with being a world power. The Obama administration will begin with an increase of about 250 Marines. According to Voice of America, the U.S. currently has less than 200 military personnel stationed in the country. 
In just one year, the U.N. convention banning cluster munitions has led to the destruction of 600,000 cluster bombs across the globe. But a civil society group says a new protocol being pushed by a small group of states to reverse the ban will do more humanitarian harm than good. The Cluster Munitions Coalition released their progress report today. 111 countries have signed the international treaty, yet report editor Steve Goose says a small group of nations led by the United States is pushing to change the protocol to allow for continued use. There will be some that are banned.